Welcome to the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast, a show that is dedicated to educating you on applying science-based training, nutrition, and mindset strategies from some of the top minds in the industry to help you build a leaner, stronger, and more confident self. I'm your host, Jeff Hain. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast. Today is a Q&A episode and I have three questions I want to dive into. But first, before I dive into that, I just have a few ways you, you can help support the podcast. So first, if you are sick of just focusing on weight loss and instead want a body recomp, then my one-on-one online coaching program is for you. I help you lose body fat and build muscle with my body recomp training, nutrition, and lifestyle methods. We look at things like your lifestyle and biofeedback to individualize your training and nutrition program to you and your specific needs. There's also at least one to two bottlenecks outside of the training and nutrition protocol that we've figure out that are keeping you from seeing results that you want to see. And these usually are keeping people more than they, uh, keeping from seeing results more than they think. So we dive into that and figure out what that is. So if you're interested, you can find out more in the show notes on how you can work with me, the services I have, coaching tiers, things like that. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram and you can ask me any questions there on that. If you aren't interested in full coaching, I do one-on-one consultations where we troubleshoot any issues you have and or map out a game plan for the next couple months. If you just want to learn more about a body recomp, I have my free masterclass on body recomp, what it is, how to do it. And you can find the link to that in the show notes as well. Next, if you don't yet, follow me on Instagram, Jeff, H-O-E-H-N underscore. That's where I'm most active on social media. You can ask me any questions. And then lastly, if you found this podcast to be helpful in any way, if you could leave a rating and review, and that will help more people find this podcast. So with that out of the way, let's dive into today's question. So first question I have is top three quad exercise. So I think this is a good uh, question. I think with this, the person just wants to pick my thoughts on it. So I'm going to take this from my personal, but then also I want to look at what would be, we want to look at exercises that are going to hit our quads, right? I think that's the best way to do it versus, hey, do these specific exercises. Because I think specific exercises are going to come down to the person and their individual body type. Whereas if we can look at kind of movement patterns, that's going to help you decide what exercises you could replace or what you could do with that. And so I have kind of three movement patterns, but then I'll also give you my favorite for each one as well too. So I think that's important. So again, we're going to take it from that, from those two, two ways. So with the quads, we want to make sure that we get some sort of knee flexion in our quad training, right? I think the big mistake people make here is one thinking things like back squats are superior to any other exercise. And that's not the case, but also when they do a back squat, they don't get a lot of knee flexion. It ends up being more like hip flexion and it ends up being more of like a, a glute lower back type exercise, right? Think things like low bar back squats. So with that, again, first, there's no must-do exercise. We want to look at movement patterns and then also things like back squats aren't necessarily going to be superior and, and how you set those exercises up are also going to be helpful, right? So for example, with quads to get some more knee flexion, you could do like heel elevated stuff, right? That's something that I've definitely incorporated more of the last two to three years. Um, and I think that can be super helpful. So making sure you do some sort of heel elevated. So if you're going to do squats, you could do heel elevated back squats and that will make it um, a little bit more quad focused. Will the amount of weight that you can do go down potentially, but you're going to put place more attention on the quads, which is what we want to do. So I want to go over the three movement patterns that we would want to see in quad training. Okay. So this is, Hey, if you do these, you you have your bases covered. I think there's two, and then there's a third one that we can add in um, on top of that. So the two main movement patterns that we want to hit for quad development is going to be one, a squat pattern. Now I just said squats aren't superior. However, the squat pattern is what we want to do. And and the thing with the squat patterns, we can do a lot of different movements there with that. Okay. This is going to be your back squat. Um, Again, you can add in the heel elevation, the wedges to, to, 
make it more quad focused, but you can also count like hack squats, pendulum squats, and like leg press towards this as well too, right? Those are going to be some squat patterns. Now, again, are they exactly back squat? No, but they are squat patterns um, that you can use. So anything like that, right? Is That's probably going to be your main mover. That's going to be the one that's really going to build that quad mass. Now, the thing with the squat pattern though, is that it doesn't do a great job of hitting your rectus femoris, which is a quad muscle. That's that one there in the middle that kind of, yeah, it's that quad muscle in the middle there, there on that. And so with that, things like sissy squats and leg extensions hit the rectus femoris. Okay. So we need to make sure that we include, if we want to fully develop our quads, we would ideally have something like that included in our quad training. Okay. So we have that. So finding a way to, to do that. If you don't have access to leg extension, then you can do like something like a sissy squat there on that. And then the last type of movement we would want to have would be like a single leg um, type exercise, right? So this would be any type of lunge, quad step up, anything like that is those would be the three movement patterns that I ideally would have in each client's programming on that. I think that the, the the single leg one isn't necessarily, it's not necessary, um, but it's to really balance things out. I really like to add that in um, on, on, on top of like leg extension and the squat pattern. Okay. So we have those three. Now from there, you can start to, you could do two exercises for the squat pattern. You could do two exercises for the, the rectus femoris, or you could do two exercises for the single leg stuff. You have options. You could do two, one, one. That just comes down to individual volume. That's not what we're concerned about here on this. In this episode, those are, that's how you could break it down. But as a minimum, you likely want to have those three. In, in your quad training, right? So those would be the three movement patterns. Now, my favorite, I don't want to say to pro, I, not for myself, because I really don't like quad training at all, but this would be like, these are like my favorites to have in for uh, clients training. So it, the first one is going to be a hack squat. I think that one, if you have a good hack squat machine, that's solid. I'd love to put that in for clients. So any type of uh, hack squat machine there would be at the top of the list uh, for myself. Second leg extension. I do like sissy squats and I think they can be super beneficial. It's just a higher risk movement than a leg extension, right? Because if you're familiar with sissy squats, it's not like going knees over toes is bad, right? We've been talking about, we want to get more knee flexion, but I do think it places, it has a little bit of a higher injury risk than other exercises. So it is very technique driven. And I think for a lot of people, that's not a good place to start. So that's why in most situations, uh, I like the leg extension. Also with the leg extension, the setup's easy. And I feel like you can really ramp up the volume if you need to on the leg extension. But yeah, for, I mean, for the longest time for myself, I thought that like leg extensions didn't do much. Oh, you just need a squat to build big quads. But then we know that squats don't necessarily hit the rectus femoris very well. So this is why we want to make sure we add this in. And I've just seen a ton of development definition in my legs by adding in leg extension. So making sure you have something like that. And then just a good old front heel elevated split squat, anything that's really going to drive that knee flexion there for the single leg quad exercise there on that. But that's the one that I typically program the most. I like quad focused step-ups. Those are solid as well there on that. So those would be my top quad exercises. Hopefully that gives you a better idea of how to train your quads. If you look over your training and you're like, oh damn, you know what? I actually don't hit leg extension or you know what? I don't have a single leg exercise in there. Now you can add that in. And I also think this is helpful from a standpoint of now you don't necessarily feel like you have to back squat either. You can add in hack squats, leg press, or or something like that as well too. Cool. So with that out of the way, let's uh, dive into the next question. So optimal duration of each cycle, cut, build, maintenance, recomp. So they're talking specifically on nutrition phases here. And I think this is a good question. I think that there's a couple of things I want to touch on here with this. This is going to be very individual to the person based on their current goals and body comp, among other things, their training history, but I think goals and body 
current body composition is going to be huge here as well too. Their training history, their nutrition history, their skill of either of those are, are all going to be things we're going to look into. And then also what their current circumstances are, just because again, we're go- probably going to use these phases at different periods of time in their life. So if somebody has a lot going on, maybe your fat loss phase is a little bit shorter than it typically would be. So there's a lot of things that, that go into this. How much body fat does somebody need to lose? That's obviously going to impact uh, the fat loss phase. What they've done recently, that's going to impact the fat loss phase. Um, their general adherence, that's going to impact it. So there's a lot of things that go into it. So it's really hard to have numbers that will like, oh, hey, you need to be in this phase for this amount of time. And then also the individual responses to that phase. If somebody's in a fat loss phase, do they start to notice diet fatigue sooner than somebody else? How does their body respond to that? Same thing in a building phase. Are they starting to, you know, do they maybe a little bit more likely to store body fat. That's going to obviously alter how long we'd be in a building phase and whatnot. Same thing with the recomp phase. That's going to be something that's really going to be dependent on the client's body composition and and whatnot there. So let's go. So with that out of the way, again, realizing that's going to be the big thing here. Let's dive into this. So fat loss, typically on average, this is about six to 20 weeks. Why not any shorter than that? You can certainly go shorter. If you're really going to drop body fat in that amount of time, you're just not going to drop a ton of body fat in that short of time, unless you go with a really large deficit and then it's okay. Is that going to be great from a lean body mass standpoint, adherence standpoint, how you feel, what's the the period of time afterwards going to look like? So that's why we don't want to go any shorter than that. You certainly can just realize that you might not be able to see as much fat loss as you would like to see in that short amount of time. So that's where I come up with that minimum of, of six weeks there. Again, you can certainly do it. Just understand what you're getting yourself into. Longer than 20 weeks, this is where again adherence starts to drop off, diet fatigue really starts to show up. And people, and then with all that risking lean body mass loss, that's also time that you're likely not in optimal position to add muscle, which isn't going to be great for body composition. So that's where I get that high end of that, that 20 weeks. I think 20 weeks is probably a little too long for most people, depending on where you're at. Like if you have a lot of body fat to lose, you go to slow rate, you can extend this for a long period of time. Some people, they just don't really notice much diet fatigue and you would take them longer. So if somebody's, if somebody gets to 20 weeks, they're still seeing great results. They feel great everything, all biofeedback checks out. Like we're going to keep going in that phase. We're not going to stop. So this is where, Hey, on average six to 20 weeks, but again, this could be, it could be 12 weeks. It could be 24 weeks. You just really have to pay attention to the, your individual response to that, but also look at adherence too. If you're 20 weeks in and you feel good, but you've only lost two pounds. Okay. Mentally, you probably should switch to another phase. Look at results as well too there on that. If you're not seeing results in 20 weeks, yeah, you might feel good because you haven't really necessarily lost too much body fat. Mentally, you might be fatigued, but at that point, again, all biofeedback's fine because you haven't really dropped anything, dropped any body fat or weight or anything like that. So in that case, we might push you to, hey, let's get out of this phase. So those are all things I would consider. But again, on average, I think six to 20 weeks is a way to go. In a perfect world, I think six probably closer to, I would say probably 10, if I was really narrow this down, I think 12 to 18 weeks. It's hard to say. I think with perfect adherence, I think you get it done in eight to 12 weeks, but that's rarely the case. It is nice because you can get in and out, but that really does require pretty good adherence. And that's challenging for most people who have a job, family, et cetera. Again, if you don't have any of that, you might be able to be very consistent in that eight to 12 weeks. So those would be things that we would consider there for that. Uh, So for a building phase, again, this is all going to depend on all the things that I've talked about throughout this this question. But for building, I would say on average, anywhere from 18 to 52 plus weeks on that. And I say plus, because again, if you're seeing good results, you're not gaining too much body fat, you're getting stronger in the gym, you're building muscle, you feel great. 
and you don't need to cut, you don't have anything coming up that you'd want to cut for, let's keep going with it. There's really no downside to continuing that. So this is where it's for some people, they will spend longer than 52 plus weeks, especially now if you're gaining 1% of body weight per week, it's like, that's going to shorten the time frame that you are going to be in a building phase. Cause you're one, you're going to start to feel like crap. And then two, you're going to start to accumulate a ton of body fat and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be hard to continue to go. And then even from a food standpoint, you're going to start to, to notice things slow down. Again, your rate of gain here in this building phase, or again, what your progress is, is going to be a huge uh, determinant in how long you're going to be in this phase. So that's where really you can be in it as long as you want. I do think that after a while, it probably is a good idea to, if you're in a surplus for that long, one, I don't think you're going to be able to be in a surplus for, so let's say you're somebody who is gaining 0.2 to 0.5% of body weight per week, probably around that 52 week mark, you're going to end up being like, okay, now I'm starting to accumulate maybe a little bit more body fat than I would like. Okay. We, we probably do want to take a cut at, at some point here. But I also think at that point, if you are in that surplus for that extended amount of time there, it's probably best from an overall health perspective, not obviously from yes, a body composition standpoint, but even just an overall health standpoint, it's going to be beneficial to take some time away from being in a small surplus, right? Whether you go to maintenance or in a small deficit at that period of time, but you'll probably get to, you'll probably notice from a body composition standpoint before it really gets to that point um, there with that. So that, again, we we have this period of time that, that we can be in a building phase for, for much longer. Whereas like a fat loss phase, we do need to have some sort of cutoff there. Uh, you don't want to be in a fat loss phase for 52 plus weeks. Again, at that point, you probably wouldn't actually be in a fat loss phase. You just mentally would be in one. But 18 weeks is on the low end of, okay, why 18 weeks? Why can't we go less? So again, you can go less, but this is, you're going to get into, it's probably not going to be, you're not going to get all the benefits out of it, right? If you go less than 18 weeks, it's man, it really takes time to build muscle. And, and not only does it take time to build muscle, but I think there's one factor that people maybe overlook with the building muscle aspect is the consistency part of it. Stringing together, that's when I say consistency, stringing together weeks, months on end of good, consistent, hard training where you're pushing. I think there's something to that where it, there seemed to be a little bit of a compounding effect. So that's where I come up with this 18 weeks. Ideally, somebody would be in a building phase for much longer than 18 weeks, but I do think that there, we need to set some sort of a basement there with it. And I think 18 weeks is, is that number. Anything less, yeah, you could build some muscle, but I think you're going to be leaving some results on the table there if you cut it shorter than 18, 18 weeks. So that's why we're on that that lower end there on that with the building phase. So that's pretty much the building phase. Is there is it going to be detrimental to go under 18 weeks? No, but again, I don't think you're going to be in the best position there. So you really want to commit to this and that's going to be a much longer phase than say the fat loss phase, whereas you'll see here in a little bit, the recomp phase. So then we have maintenance and it really, at the end of the day, we need a maintenance phase, health phase, whatever you want to call it. It really depends on what you're using this far. Again, if you're trying to build muscle, push training, you're not in a maintenance phase, right? You're in a building phase. You're just closer to your maintenance calorie. So we need to distinguish that. A maintenance phase would be used for somebody who wants to take a break from pushing their body. They have a busy time coming up. They need to maintain. Maybe there's some sort of health issue going on and they don't, again, pushing their body body weight up or down isn't going to be great. So they need to focus there. Those would be the main reasons. And you just want to take a break from fat loss, but that would go back to, you want to take a break from pushing your body. So those would be the reasons we would potentially use that. And so for this, you can be up, you can be in this phase for days, right? And you can, you could say that refeeds or diet breaks are quote unquote maintenance phases. It's all about kind of terminology there. You could group that into a fat loss phase, but again, we could be there for days all the way up to forever if you want, right? So this one's going to have, this is going to have the, the biggest, it just depends on your situation. You could be here forever or again, for a couple of days, there's no set time frame of, oh, you have to be in a maintenance phase for eight weeks there on that. I would say maybe the only time we would say that is if you're going to do a fat loss phase, take a break, fat loss phase, you would probably want to have some sort of set time frame where, okay, if you're going to 
diet for 20 weeks, you probably don't just want to take a maintenance phase for a week, right? You probably want to do that a little bit longer there on that. So it, it does depend on what we're using it, it for here with that. So hopefully that makes sense on that one. So again, there's a, a large variety or a large range that you can be in here uh, again. And if you decide, Hey, you know what? I just want to extend my maintenance. I'm really happy with my physique and where I'm at. And I need to just take an extended period of time off from really pushing training. We're, we're still going to do things during this period of time, but we're just going to dial back on what we're aiming for. Um, again, you can do that as long as you want, as long as you need it. And then lastly, we have a recomp phase. So this is going to be very individual, but typically this one's anywhere from four weeks to 24 weeks. It could potentially be longer depending on results and the person's body composition. But I think, you know, for you at least want to do it for four weeks just to make sure that really you could theoretically go under four weeks if need be. But with this one, since it is very similar to a fat loss phase, again, depending on the circumstances, it may end up being slightly less, or it, it, that's what's going to make it anywhere from, from four weeks to 24 weeks. Now, if you're closer to your maintenance calorie, then you can obviously be on that. You could be in that phase for an extended period of time there with that. However, at some point it would run in, it would blend into the building phase. So there, these do end up running together, right? Cause I, I have my short-term body recomp and then I have my long-term body recomp, right? So short-term is this like simultaneous fat loss muscle gain. And then long-term body recomp is going to be more like, Hey, we're going to go through dedicated phases of building and fat loss, right? I just think that after 24 weeks, you're going to have to, if you're consistently training hard, pushing everything like, and, and things are going well, I think once you get to that 24 week mark, you're probably going to have to start to, to decide, Hey, do I want to stay here and see slower results? Or do I want to go to a more long-term body recomp here and do more like uh, dedicated fat loss, muscle building phases. However, in saying that if somebody's 24 weeks in and we have them in a small deficit, they're continuing to drop body fat. They're feeling great. They're building muscle. They're feeling strong. Everything's coming back good. You could go longer, but Again, this is just the average there on it. And I think these last two maintenance and recomps, they have a little bit more uh, range on how long they, they can be there with that. So hopefully that makes sense on that question. If you guys have any questions on it, let me know. And then the last question of the day is, can you do one exercise in the 15 to 20 rep range? And then the rest of the exercises in like the 12, 10, eight to six rep range. So I, as I read this again, so I took this as, can you do one exercise in the 15 to 20 rep range? And then the rest of the 12, 10, eight, six rep range. So you could take it that way. The second way you could take it is, can you start with 15 to 12, 15 to 20 reps and then do, and then decrease your, as a, as the training session goes on. So let's take it from the latter one first to where, Hey, can you start with 15 to 20 reps and then do, and then drop the reps as the, and then the rep. So for example, your first exercise would be like in the 15 to 20 rep range. And then the rest of the exercises be in like the six to 12 rep range. I probably wouldn't do that. I probably would start with your heavier stuff first versus saving the heavier stuff for later and having your light stuff be first. So I would flip-flop that. That would be the first thing. However, can so that would that would be that question. The second, the other way that you could take this is can you do one exercise in the 15 to 20 rep range and then everything else in the 12 to six to 12 rep range? And hundred percent, you can totally have one exercise that's in the 15 to 20 rep range. And then the rest in the, those other rep ranges, you could do this in one session for different muscle groups or for one muscle group throughout the entire week. Right. So you could do like for, let's say you're doing quads, you could do one in a couple exercises in the six to 12, and then you could do one in the 15 to 20 rep range. Right. Or you could break that up to where you do six to 12 in one workout and then 15 to 20 later on. Right. So you could totally do that. And then you could potentially make this work for one muscle group in a session. So long as it, it is it isn't too much volume. What I mean by that is you could do multiple exercises, 6, 12, and then 15, 20, right? So you just want to make sure you don't do too much volume in that one workout. I will say though, the 15 to 20 rep range isn't great for all exercises though, for muscle growth. So for example, something like a squat or something heavy like that, I don't think it's going to work well in that range. Plus with those higher rep ranges, you get into that 15 to 20 plus rep range. One, it's actually a little bit more fatiguing than the lower rep range. Second, that sucks. Like anyone that it's challenging to get up in those higher rep range. And then the third 
third and fourth is not only is it challenging to get there, it's important that you get pretty close to failure on that. Like it's always, you always want to make sure you're within, if you really want to maximize muscle growth, probably zero to three reps in reserve. But when you get into these higher up ranges, it becomes even more important to get closer to, to failure, but it becomes harder to do that. And more challenging for us to know when we get to that point. So you, all these things combined, I think the 15 to 20 rep range or higher is not the greatest rep range for building muscle. But again, you can certainly have some exercises that go in, in there. So what I wanted to hit on for the rest of this question is just what we want our, what I would want somebody's training to look like throughout the entire week in terms of building muscle. And if you're in a body recomp, right? So I think 80 to 90% of the time we need to be in the six to 15 rep range for all those reasons. I just talked about again, the 15 to 20, not being great, but then even one to five rep range, you know, with that, it will build some muscle, but probably not going to maximize it. But if you do like to do that one to five rep range, I think zero to 10% of the time you can be there and that's totally fine. And then same thing, zero to 10% in the 15 to 30 rep range. And then 90 to 95% of the time we're training anywhere from zero to two, three reps in the tank from muscular failure. So again, we want most of the bulk of our training for trying to maximize muscle growth in a body recomp and we're trying to look toner. We're just trying to improve our body composition. I think 80, 90% of the time we need to be in that six to 15 rep range. This is a rep range that, you know, it's not easy to get to failure. We're better at gauging it getting closer to failure at that point, you can do a good amount of weight, but you can also get in a good amount of volume and it's not very injured. Like it's the injury risk is a little bit lower right there with that. So with all those things combined, that's where that kind of magic rep range is six to 15. But again, we can also work outside of that from time to time if we need to. I will say there's a couple caveats to these numbers. So one injuries, if you're injured, you know, this may alter the rep range. Maybe you do more in the 15 to 30 rep range. Maybe you do some blood flow restriction training on certain muscle groups. So again, injuries are going to play a big role in this, and this may alter this number. And then preference. If you enjoy one rep range over the other, you may alter this slightly, but veering too far away from this breakdown may impede results there with that. And then training intensity. The one to five rep range, you want to be careful with going to absolute failure more times than not. And then in the 15 to 30 rep range, it's probably more important to get close to muscular failure. So you need to take those things into consideration. But the preference I think is key. If you're really pushing yourself in that 15 to 20 rep range, who am I to say not to do it? If you're pushing yourself and you can work through those things that I talked about, you're good to go. So that is it for this episode. Let me know if you guys have any questions and I will chat with you next time. Thank you for listening. If you want more free content like this, follow me on Instagram at jeffh91 underscore or visit jhhealth.net. See you next time.